Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Thank you for being here with us. If you want to turn in your Bibles or on your devices to Colossians chapter 1, these verses are also in your bulletin. We're going to be picking up in verse 24 of chapter 1 today. We're actually going to read all the way through the end of chapter 2. And if you know me at all, there's no way that we can cover all of that, but there was just no good place to break it up. And so I've got a few notes about the first half, maybe, that are my thoughts for this week. But I, want, I wanted you to have all of chapter 2 to start to set the context for where we're going. And as we read here in a minute, we're going to be asking, what's this teach us about God? And you are welcome to share the things that you are seeing and that God's showing you throughout this whole section. You don't have to just focus on the first half. And then at the end, I'll kind of talk about uh, the part that I've got. And then also, at the very end, after our, our time of worship and song, if you'll hang around for just a second, I've got a list of things um, that we're going to cover then. I am a list person. Like, you may not believe this, but I actually have lists of some of my lists that I haven't gotten to get to yet. And, you know, like, hopefully, here's the list of lists that I hope eventually please let me get to these at some point because there's some things on here I really want to cover. Um, but, but this list today includes some surprises that we don't want uh, on the live feed or on the internet later for anybody to accidentally hear about. And so we're going to wait till the end, cut the live feed, and then I'll get to the list. And now you get to anticipate the whole time. What's that going to be about? So, Merry Christmas. All right. Colossians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 24, make it through the end of chapter 2, asking, what's this teach about God? I'm going to pray for us right now, and I'm going to ask you to pray with me that God would open our eyes and soften our hearts and help us see the things that he wants to say to us today out of this particular text. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time right now. Please teach us by your spirit from your word as only you can. Open up the truth of your word to us and open us up to the truth of your word. Father, all the biggest and most important things in our life are things that only you can do, things that only you can give. And so we come to you asking you, trusting you, relying on you, confessing that we need you. And Father, even now in advance, we thank you that you've promised to do these things in Jesus. And so it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, Colossians chapter 1, picking up in verse 24. This is Paul writing to the Colossian church, and he says, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. 
To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great deal about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. And we'll stop there today because we've got to stop somewhere, right? You go first. What stands out to you? What does that teach us about God? Yeah. Uh, the, the fullness of God, like, 
so much, it brings like such a joy, like, I don't know how to say it, but like, you know, it's taking the power and giving it to him, it's like collecting it, how celebrating him, versus like doing it on our own accord. It's the same thing with like the flesh. Like, all that law didn't save anyone. Right. I think maybe that was loud enough that almost everybody heard it. I don't know if it gets picked up online or not, but I really wish there was a way to just package that because if we were going to synthesize everything we just read, that's it. And I don't even know which pieces to grab and how to pull it all together with the different verses. And so I'm going to ramble on for just a couple of minutes right here, maybe as an overview of this whole section. And I, I, I didn't anticipate, I don't anticipate that we're going to, cover every detail through the end of chapter 2 this week. We'll spend some more time in it in all likelihood next week. But let's grab just these few pieces here. Right. Chapter 2, verse 9. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. So, all the fullness of God is found in Jesus. And then let's connect that up here to this huge mystery that Paul was talking about where he says, you know, God has called me to serve the church. I've been, I've become the church's servant by the commission of God. And the way that Paul's supposed to serve the church is by presenting the Word of God in its fullness. And he says that the fullness of the Word of God is a mystery that for ages and generations had been hidden. But now it's been revealed to God's people, to the church. And this mystery that God has revealed, he's chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you. So all the fullness of God is found in Jesus. And Jesus comes to live in his people by his work in the gospel. And the reason I go ahead and word it by his work in the gospel is that we get down here and Paul explains what God has done for us in Christ. In verse 10, he, I think, is a confirmation of what we just said. In Christ, you have been brought to fullness. So the fullness of God in Christ, and now Christ living in you means he's bringing the fullness of God to live in you. So there, there is your fullness in him. But then right here we see this spiritual work. And, and Paul grabs, when we're talking about the laws here, he grabs a Jewish law and the marker that showed that Jews were Jews, right? That Jews were God's people and set them apart from the whole world. And it was like, we belong to God and we're God's people. So this act of circumcision was an act done by human hands in the flesh, an external thing that 
that did not change their hearts or anything internal. And Paul grabs hold of that, and he's like, what Jesus has done for you spiritually is much deeper than any external act that marks you off as a certain nationality, a certain culture, even a certain religion. Jesus has done something internally in you. Your whole self was ruled by the flesh. So your, your sinful nature, your flesh was in control of who you were. And Jesus cut off, put off the flesh. He has changed you with this spiritual circumcision where he cuts off your sinful nature and then it's like you die with him, you're buried with him, and now you're raised to a new life through the resurrection of Jesus. This spiritual work that, that he cuts off the old you who is controlled by the flesh and brings to life the new you controlled by his spirit. So Paul in, in verse 13, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us our sins, canceled all of our debt, you know, which stood against us and condemned us. We were condemned before God because we owed God a debt that we couldn't pay. And God cancels all of that in Jesus. He takes that debt away and nails it to the cross. And at the cross, God defeats all the spiritual powers that were triumphing over you. Jesus triumphs over them by the cross. And this is how he kills the old you and puts it to death. Circumcises and cuts off your sinful nature and brings to life a new you by his work and by his spirit and by his resurrection power and life living in you. And look, I know that's like the big picture. We just grabbed the whole Bible, but that's what happens in these verses. And that's why I said the synthesis of the whole. So by Jesus' work in the gospel, he comes to live inside you. He does a spiritual work in your heart where he is now the power and the source for your spiritual life. And when he comes to live inside you, what he's bringing in you is all the fullness of God himself. Because he is the fullness of God. And that's why, if we back up to a couple of verses that we didn't grab right then, when he says... Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, you, know, you, you initially put your faith in Jesus, you heard the gospel, you believed, you were trusting Jesus. So in the same way, continue to live your lives in him. It's not that, hey, there was a moment where I trusted Jesus and Jesus did this work for me that I couldn't do for myself and he saved me and now it's my job to live for him. That is not the case. Right? I continue to live in him. Like, yes, when the, the, the first moment when he saved me, he did something for me I could never do for myself. Right? He rescued me from the wrath of God. He paid the price for me. He rescued me from my sin. But also for the rest of my life, he continues to do something for me that I could never do for myself. He continues to produce in me this new spiritual life, this holiness. He continues to make me more like himself. All of the fruit of the Spirit grows out of his Spirit and not out of me. And so he says, continue to live your life in him by faith in the same way that you came to faith in him. The way that you looked to Jesus when you were first saved, keep looking to Jesus for the rest of your life. Jesus and Jesus and Jesus always. All the fullness of God is in Jesus, so keep looking at Jesus. You're, you're rooted in him, right? This is where it starts. Your roots are grounded in him. He's your source, but you're also built up in him. 
The way you will grow is in Jesus. All of your spiritual growth, all of your spiritual fruit, all of your spiritual life will be in Jesus. The more you see Jesus, the more you trust Jesus, the more you know Jesus, the more you're in deep relationship with Jesus and reliance on Jesus, the more he will build you up spiritually. You'll be strengthened in your faith that you will grow in faith in Jesus and all of your strength will come from trusting Jesus. And so then, literally everything that you see in the entire New Testament about the Christian life and joy, hope, love, some of the things that we mentioned a minute ago, all of that flowing out of the fact that the fullness of God is found in Jesus. And when we see Jesus in that way and trust Jesus in that way, Jesus living in that in us is giving those gifts to us by his work in the gospel. And that doesn't even start to grab it all, but it is a good summary of what we're looking at here, what we're wrestling with here. What other things do you see? What other thoughts do you have? Ways to clarify that or other truths about God? Uh, where do you want to go next? Right. Yeah, so, so in 9 and 10 here, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity, you know, all fullness, lives in bodily form. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. So just, I mean, all the fullness of God in Christ. Meaning there is nothing about God outside of Christ. Right? All in Christ. And then in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. So all the fullness that you will find spiritually in your life, in Christ, none of it outside of him. And so one of the ways that, that John said it right there is that Jesus is enough. You know, Jesus is complete. And that when we come to Jesus, We come to the one who rules over all. He is the head over every power and authority. And, and, and since John said this right here, we'll go ahead and start to make the connection, and I'll probably come back to it in a little while. But in this particular section, which, you know, remember, the reason this is called Colossians is Paul's writing a letter to a real church. And I joked the first week about whether it's Colossae or Colossae or Colossae, but the church of the Colossians, real people, and he's heard about their church and their faith in Jesus and their believing the gospel, but also he's heard about some of the, 
the false teachings, the errors, the people who aren't believers who are trying to teach them something different from the real gospel, you know, the dangers to their faith. And part of what he's doing in writing this letter is he's addressing those things and saying, make sure you keep believing the real thing. Like this, this not Jesus thing, anything that's not Jesus is not the real thing. And that's why he's set up so clearly. See who Jesus is. All things in him. All things through him. All things by him. All things to him. All things for him. And now we move on in this chapter. The fullness of God in him. All of your fullness in him. There's nowhere else for you to look. And we see him now start to contrast that. First of all, he says, don't let anyone deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. So there, there are these religious people that can come in and they can say some really religious stuff that sounds good. Right? The, the errors that are going, to, are going to be most dangerous to you, the errors that are most likely going to pull you away from Jesus, aren't the ones where you're like, well, that's stupid, that doesn't make any sense. They're the ones who's like, yeah, that, that, that sounds right. That seems right. I, I think that I probably agree with that. And here's the type of errors that they are. Hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. The things that have usually made sense to humans, that apart from Jesus, you'd be like, yeah, I think that's probably the way we ought to do things. Yeah, that seems really religious and good and right. Rather than on Christ. But I can't point to anything in the gospel. I can't point to anything in who Jesus is for why we would do it this way or why we would believe it that way. But, but that's, that's what I've been told. That's what other people say. And it makes sense to me. See, the thing about it makes sense to me is that that old nature we were talking about a minute ago that Paul calls your flesh here, but your natural self apart from the spiritual work of Jesus. Listen, if that's your natural self apart from the spiritual work of Jesus, then this stuff that makes sense apart from the spiritual work of Jesus is going to appeal to your natural self apart from the spiritual work. This is how you'll think apart from Jesus. This is how you'll live apart from Jesus. Like this is what you'll naturally do and naturally believe. And so when you hear other people that are teaching that stuff apart from Jesus, you're like, well, yeah, that makes sense. Because it's natural teaching appealing to the natural self. And Paul's like, that's not what Christianity is. This is not mere human teaching and human effort and human religion. This is a supernatural work of God. That God himself, the supernatural being, has come down to dwell among us and reveal himself to us in the person of Christ. And then he comes to live in us. A spiritual power, a spiritual force, a supernatural work that isn't natural. And it, it turns everything that's natural to us upside down. This guy, this natural guy, the way you would be if you don't think in terms of the gospel, he's got to die. And somebody new has to come to life in you and bring a new you to life. And so Paul's like, don't get deceived by all the stuff that humans would believe. Like, yeah, it's, it's going to make sense to you. It's going to appeal to your human natural self. And you have to be rigorous and constantly coming back to Jesus and his gospel and letting him reshape your mind and reshape your heart. And then, just so you see that he, he stays on this the whole way, when he gets down here, 
Therefore, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. Look, again, he's talking about the Jewish law, right? And God had given the Jewish law to the people in the Old Testament. Like This, this kind of stuff comes from the Old Testament. But if they're observing it in a way that is just human tradition and not in a way, do you remember the phrase right up here? Rather than on Christ, if they're observing their religion in a way that's just based on human tradition and not based on Jesus, it's leading them away from God. Your religion, if it's not based on Jesus and doesn't grow out of Jesus and isn't defined by Jesus, will lead you away from God. And so Paul says, hey, don't let anybody tell you that this stuff, the what you eat, drink, religious festival, new moon celebration, Sabbath day. Don't let anybody tell you that's the main point. These were just a shadow. Right? And the thing about a shadow is there's a reality somewhere casting that shadow. The reality is found in Christ. It's like if all you ever do is see the shadow, like you just got this shadowy outline and you don't understand the details yet. He's like, turn and look at the one who's casting the shadow. Like when you read the whole Old Testament, all the festivals, all the feasts, all the laws, it's a shadow. Well, here's the reality. He's Jesus. Look at Jesus and see the whole thing, the fullness of God. Not just the shadow now, but the fullness of God in Jesus. And then he goes on, he's like, and look, these people that, that, that are still focused on just human traditions and human effort and human religion, they're going to give you a whole bunch of rules. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, as if what you do or don't do is the thing that's going to make you right with God, which is exactly what we saw if you were with us for the Sermon on the Mount before this, where Jesus is like, hey, you can not do all the don't do things in the world, and it doesn't change your heart. And you can do all the do things in the world, and it doesn't change your heart. And Jesus was like, in my kingdom, there's got to be something bigger and greater and deeper that happens inside of you. And Paul's telling us here what that is, that we need Jesus to circumcise our hearts spiritually, to cut off the dead, sinful nature of who we are and bring to life a new person inside of us, him living in us, Christ in you, the hope of glory by his spirit living in you and changing who you are in your very nature and your very being. And so, yeah, like this is, like, this is what Paul has in mind for this whole chapter. And it's why I felt like we couldn't cut off in the middle of chapter 2, because as soon as he gives us that picture of who Jesus is at the end of chapter 1, all of chapter 2 grows out of it where he's saying, so put your faith in Jesus and not in human religion. Put your faith in what Jesus has done for you, not what you would do for him. Put your faith in the fact that Jesus' work is full and complete and sufficient, and your work and your effort would never be enough. Not to make you right with God, not to pay off your debt before God. You... It doesn't matter how much you pay for the rest of your life. Work as hard as you can. Follow all the rules you can. Keep all these Old Testament feasts and festivals. Do everything that you think God said to you. And pay and pay and pay. You owe him an infinite debt. You'll never pay it off. You're not that good. You're not that big. You're not that important. You're not that spiritually rich. You can't pay what you owe God. But Jesus can. Why? Because the fullness of God dwells in him. He has the infinite resources of God himself, and he has given himself for you to pay your debt for you. So look to him and trust him. Die to yourself and see who he is. What else do you see? What does this teach us about God? Yeah. 
Yeah. And so, and I'm glad you said application because John gave us application at the end of his two, and I made a note in my head, like, okay, we need to talk about this application, and then I talked for so long that I forgot. So let's talk about. So John's application for us here was, like, if this is if this is true, that this is who Jesus is, and everything that we need or will get from God is in Jesus, and the danger is that naturally none of that's what we would look to, none of that's what we would believe, like. But because we have been twisted away from God by our sin nature, and we're naturally bent away from God, and we need a supernatural work in the gospel to bend us back toward God. And then Paul says, and hey, that's not just a one-moment, one-time thing, but for the rest of your life, continue to live in him, continue to look at him, continue to grow in your faith in him. Then you know, one of the applications is always be looking to Jesus. And John specifically said, always be seeing who Jesus is in his word. It's why that it is not mere routine for us to get together every week and do this. And it's why that, that we keep encouraging you. We want to study the Bible in a way together during this time that you can go study that, the Bible that way all the time in your life, both individually in your relationship with God and with other people, because we all constantly need to be seeing who Jesus is. We constantly need God to be revealing himself to us from his... Like, it's like... I naturally bend this way, and he's got to keep pulling me back and keep pulling... And if I wait a day, I'm all, here I go. You know, I'm already two degrees off, and I keep waiting, and keep waiting. it's worse and worse and worse, and I need the Word of God to keep snapping. This, it's like God saying His Word, this is who I really am. This is who I really am. This is who I've really shown myself to be in Jesus. Put your faith in the real God, and not the one you're creating in your mind, and not the one the world's creating for you, and not the one that human tradition has told you about, and not the one that religious tradition has told you about, but the real God as He's revealed Himself in His Word through Jesus. And so, we come to the Bible not as some sort of effort of, of, of self-righteousness or self-work. It's not just a discipline where it's like, I'm a really religious person, so this is what I do. We come to the Bible because this is our life. Like, this is how God speaks to us and keeps telling us who he is and communicating truth to us and shaping our hearts and minds. We come as an expression of faith. I need you to do this. And you've promised to do it in this way, so I'll seek you here. Like you've told me I'll find you here, so I'll seek you here. You've told me that you work in this way, and so I'll, I'll rely on your work in this way. And so, yes, like when, when John said, be seen who Jesus is in his word, and I'm going to expand on that in just a minute. But, but then patience says, starting in verse 2, Paul talking about the, like why would he... Why would he give himself to the church in this way? So this applies to any believer anywhere in the church. He said, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. And so the, the part that John was talking about and that I've spent so much time just now talking about, that we desperately need to know Jesus, 
to know, know the full revelation and the mystery of God that's revealed in Jesus. And we get that from his word, but then Paul takes it another step and says, and you get that from his word in community with other believers, right? That they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, the church being bound together in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. And, and, and think about the logical connection right there. Paul says, I want you to be united in love, but hey, that's not the end goal. And you know, this is, by the way, one of the little sneaky things that happens in the church sometimes today where we act like us, like unity is the goal of the church. Unity becomes the idol of the church. Like it's more important than Jesus. That's what, what we mean by an idol. If, if teaching the truth about Jesus offends people, if teaching a true gospel makes people uncomfortable, we'll sacrifice that so we can stay united. I mean, it happens all the time. And Paul's like, you've missed the whole, the only point of unity, there is a great point of unity, but the point of unity is that you can have the full riches of complete understanding in order that you may know the mystery of God in Christ. That God works through the unity of his body to help us together understand Jesus better than we could individually. And I think one of the simplest ways to think about it is you have spiritual blind spots, and I have spiritual blind spots. And I can see some of yours, and you can see some of mine. And together we have less blind spots than we do individually. And, and then multiply that over and over and over. You know, 10 times, 20 times, 100 times, 200 times, over and over and over. That there's little pieces of God that he has revealed to you more clearly than he has to the rest of us. And little pieces of God that he's revealed to me more clearly than the rest of us. And little pieces of God that he's revealed to you and to you and to you and to you, and to you more clearly than the rest of us. And when we come together and we're united in this moment, he speaks and, and that's exactly what it is for us to be the body together. Like there, if we are the body of Christ, there is a piece of Jesus' body that I can't see if you're not here. Right? Like, let, let's just say that, that you're the right pointer finger. And you're not united with us. Like you're separate from us. I can't see that part of Jesus without you. Right? And he's saying, so when we're united in heart, the way the church is supposed to be, united in love the way we're supposed to be, that all of us together, he's using all of us to reveal himself more fully to all of us. And, and for me, like maybe I'm going out on a limb here, but it's part of the reason why we study the Bible this way. Because I'm not the full revelation of Jesus for you, and neither is anybody else who stands up here. And we come with this expectation that God's going to speak to his people. And that all of us together need God speaking to all of us together through all of us together. And so when God shows you something in his word and he prompts you to share it, share it. And it's why we encourage you to study the Bible this way with other people throughout the week, both in community groups in our church and other people that God brings into your life and the world, that God would be using us to show pieces of him to everybody else. And if you, if you, first of all, never seek him that way in his word, and then secondly, never share that with anybody else, there's a piece of him that's not getting seen because he intends to use you in that way. I mean, do you see that right here in these verses? Like he has built community into the church. The other thing that it does for all of us, like if we believe this, is it promotes humility. Like there's not a single one of us that can say, hey, I got this thing figured out, I'm good to go on my own. You're not. You cannot know the full riches of God on your own. It has to be in community with other people. He has designed this thing where you can't do it on your own. I mean, like you can, but you'll do it poorly. 
You'll do it incompletely. You'll do it in a distorted, unbalanced, incorrect way. You'll have a few pieces of God, but you won't be able to set them in the bigger context of who you would know God to be if you were in community as he was speaking to his people through his people. And so, you know, Bible study is crucial to knowing Jesus. And we mean that through faith, not through self-effort. Community with believers is crucial to knowing Jesus. And I just want to build on those two right now and walk through these three thoughts because it's all really closely connected. And I think we've got so much meat in this section that this will be enough for today. And we'll tie it to next week. If there's stuff you want to add, that'll be fine. The reason I started in verse 24 is I said last week that I know this is a really confusing verse. Like it's easily misunderstood. And I gave you an explanation. I spent a lot of time on it. But I felt like I spent enough time that I muddled it. And so I wanted to come back and try to just really sort of quickly, simply revisit it and see the main thing we should see out of verse 24. So when he says, when Paul says, I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. We talked about last week how that sounds like in English, like he may be saying, hey, the, the work of Jesus, his suffering on the cross wasn't complete, and so I have to suffer more to complete it. And, and this was one of those places where I said this is always a great uh, reminder for us that we let the Bible interpret the Bible. And so we zoomed out and we went to Hebrews 7, 8, 9, 10. If you want to go there again later or if you weren't here and you want to listen to it last week, and we saw over and over and over how the work of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus, is described as a once-for-all sacrifice that makes his people perfect forever, that it brings about eternal redemption. That it, it, he, his, Jesus' work fully covers everything that needs to be covered now and forever for you to be made right with God. And so when we see that clearly, lots of other places in the Bible, then that tells us, okay, the way I'm hearing this verse initially must be wrong. So what's the right understanding of this verse? And I pointed you to Philippians 2.30 because Paul uses the exact same sort of phrase in Philippians 2.30, but this time he's talking about Epaphroditus brought an offering from the Philippian church traveled to Rome while Paul was in prison in Rome and presented that offering to Paul to provide for his needs while he was in prison. And Paul, talking about Epaphroditus, says he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. And complete is the exact same word as fill up and lacking, the exact same word as lacking. And so I thinking about what was going on there with the Philippian church and Epaphroditus and Paul, quickest way to say it, the Philippians at this point had already given that offering, right? They, they gave it as a church. They gave it to Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus left with it. He's been traveling with it probably for several weeks at that point. Paul gets it, writes the letter back. And so when Paul says that something was lacking, there was nothing lacking in what they had given. It had already been given. Fully, completely. So what was lacking? It hadn't been physically presented to Paul yet. 
There's nothing lacking in the gift, but Paul hadn't physically experienced the receiving of the gift yet. Clear? So by Epaphroditus coming as a representative of the church, when he presents it to Paul, he completes what was lacking. There's nothing lacking in the giving, but there was a lacking in the presentation. And that's exactly what Paul's talking about in verse 24 right here. And so I wrote it out this way. Jesus has already given himself fully and completely in his sacrifice. There's nothing lacking in what he's given. All the fullness of God lives in him, and he gave himself fully and completely unto death. What is lacking is the physical presentation of Jesus' sacrifice to those who didn't personally witness it. So he dies at a specific point in time in a specific location, right? somewhere around 33 A.D., just outside of Jerusalem on a cross. And there's only so many people that physically with their eyes saw it happen. He, he, he gave the gift. Right? He made the sacrifice. But now what he calls his church and his body to do is present that physically to everyone who didn't know that. Like, it's why you and I found out about it, because other people physically presented it to us. And so partially Paul said, so I'm traveling with the gospel that those who, who they don't even know the gift that Jesus has given them yet, and I'm going to complete his giving of the gift by presenting it to them. But he takes it a step further and he says, no, that doesn't just happen through my words. It also happens through the fact that I'm willing to suffer to make Jesus known. And so when Paul is beaten and shipwrecked and thrown in prison and, and has rocks thrown at him for preaching the gospel, he's like, that suffering isn't even my suffering. This is, this is the suffering of Jesus. I'm his body and he lives in me now. And every work that he does in me is still his work. And all of this suffering is a presentation to all these people who didn't personally see the suffering of Jesus that this is Jesus' suffering for you. This is Jesus' gospel for you. And so he's not adding something to the sacrifice of Christ. He's making the sacrifice of Christ known both by speaking the gospel and being willing to suffer for the gospel. Does that make sense in verse 24? Now, once we see that, it ties to the, the main two things I want us to look at the rest of the time together. So when Paul goes to make Jesus known and make his gospel known to all these churches, and we started looking at this, but I really want to hammer down here for just a second because it's so easy to blow past it. He says, so here I go, making the sacrifice of Jesus known. I've become a servant to the church by the commission God gave me to present the word of God in its fullness. And so just make sure you see that phrase right there. Paul says, my job, like what God has called me to do for the church, is present the word of God in its fullness. Like the, the full meaning, full understanding of the Bible. And Paul says, look, there was a mystery that was hidden for ages and generations. Like people did not fully clearly see what God was revealing in the Bible. But now it's been disclosed. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you. And realize that the revealing of this mystery, Christ in you, equates to presenting the word of God in its fullness. He's, he's talking about the same thing, that what wasn't seen is Christ in you. What's been revealed is Christ in you. And he calls all of that presenting the word of God in its fullness. And then when you get to verse 28, it becomes even more clear. He says, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He, meaning Jesus, he is the one we proclaim. 
And so Paul says, how do I present the word of God in its fullness to the church? By proclaiming Jesus. Do you see that here? Do you see it, first of all, in these verses? Paul's like, my job to present the word of God in its fullness. The word of God in its fullness has been a mystery, but now it's made known. The mystery is Christ in you. And so the way we do this is by proclaiming Jesus to you. Here's why I'm hammering this. Generally speaking, I don't think that's our typical view of the Bible. We do not come to the Bible and say, Jesus is the whole thing. We don't come to the Bible and say, the only way that you will get the fullness of what God is saying here is to see that all of it's about Jesus. Now, you may be like, yeah, we do, because I say that a lot here. And the other guys on our teaching team say that a lot here. Um, we, we do hammer you with this, but we hammer you with something that I think is fairly countercultural. And you... Maybe a lot of places in your life you've heard something different. And, counter, and not even where people directly say, hey, the whole thing's not about Jesus. Most people don't say that in religious circles. They just treat it like it's not about Jesus. They like just understood. And here's what I mean. Like, and so now here we go. You may want to pick your feet up. Um, if you come to the Old Testament and you read about the feasts and festivals in the Old Testament, and the main thing you get is either a historical understanding of those feasts and festivals or a desire to recreate them and observe them in your own life, and they don't point you to Jesus, you've missed what the Old Testament's about. If you read the Old Testament law and you think the main thing that you're supposed to get is moral behavior and ethical descriptions either for you or for the laws of a country that you think would be God-honoring, you've missed what the Old Testament's about. If you come to the Old Testament and you're fascinated with Israel and the history of Israel and the implications that it had back then in world history and today, and you miss Jesus, you miss what the Old Testament's about. If you read the Psalms and they're emotional and moving and great prayers and great poetry, but you miss Jesus, you miss what the Psalms are about. If you read the prophecy of the Old Testament or the prophecy of the New Testament and you're mainly interested in the future and end times and predicting the future and you miss Jesus, you miss what prophecy is about. Do you see that right here? The Word of God in its fullness is about Jesus. And if you stop short of Jesus, you may know all sorts of things about the Word of God. You may have lots of information about the Word of God, but you don't understand the Word of God in its fullness. Paul says, when, when you come to the Bible to understand the Word of God in its fullness, it has to point you to Jesus and to the glorious truth that the God who has all things in himself has come to live in you by living in Jesus who now lives in you. Right? The fullness of God dwells in Jesus in bodily form and Christ in you is the revelation of the whole mystery that God's been preparing you for and revealing to you in the whole Bible. And if you don't see that, you don't get the word of God in its fullness. The whole thing's about Jesus. And, and I got an illustration of this for you. I had a friend, I saw him do this. We were on a mission trip in China and he did it with one of his own pictures. Um, shoot, it's been a long time ago now almost 10 years ago, I think. And it's always stuck with me. And I think when you see this, it really helped me. Can you see that on the screen? You can go ahead and pop that up there just for the whole image if you want to. Will it go up there? there. If I were to ask you, what's this a picture of? What, what does that look like to you? Easton, what you got, buddy? It is. That's a purple flower. Now, what if I were to tell you, because I know what this is really a picture of, and I'm like, hey, I understand 
why when you look at that, it looks like it's a picture of a purple flower, but it's not a purple flower at all. What would you think? Oh, you got another answer? Go ahead. Okay, so it looks like something else. Now, let me, let me scroll over. I'm going to zoom out just a little bit, all right? Same picture, zoomed out a little bit. Oh, what did I do there? What's it a picture of now? So you said a dog. And by the way, do you see the purple flower right above the dog? Okay. Tell me, you're right. It's a purple flower on a sheet. It's a dog laying on the sheet on the couch. My mom and dad are here this morning with us, and this was their dog, their house, their couch. Here's the deal. That is not a picture of a dog laying on a sheet with purple flower on it. You ready? Let's zoom out a little bit more. That's Sydney. She wasn't two yet. Still got her pasty in her mouth, cuddling that. And when I say that's a picture of my daughter, listen, that's a picture of my daughter. <laughs> we took that picture because our child was laying there. And if you look at that picture and you don't see that cute girl with her blue eyes and her pasty hanging out, like if you talk about the dog all day long and you talk about that purple flower all day long, like you're missing the point of that picture. Do you see that? Like, if you don't see the child, you don't see the point of the picture. And God's like, you can talk about the history of Israel and all the laws and all the feasts and all the festivals and all the psalms and all the prophecies and all the whatever, and if you don't see my son, you're missing the point of the whole thing. And if you zoom in on every little detail so much that all you see is a blurry purple flower... You'll never understand why that flower even matters. And maybe you start to zoom out a little bit and you realize, oh, that's a dog laying on a sheet on a couch. Great! That's not what the picture's about. God's like, you've got to see the whole picture, the Word of God in its fullness. And only when you see His Son does the whole picture come into focus. Every other detail is related to Him. The thing only matters because of Him. You only understand really what it's a picture of when you realize it's a picture of Jesus revealing God to you so that you can know who God really is. And every detail has to be interpreted in light of Him. Everything has to be seen in light of who Jesus is and who Jesus reveals God to be. Like this, this is not, hey, one thing among many or some small trivial thing that we get on a soapbox about here. Like You either get this or you miss the whole Bible. Right? I mean, that's what Paul's saying. That the way that God has served the church is by giving us teachers who present the Word of God in its fullness. And the Word of God in its fullness is proclaiming Jesus so that you put faith in Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so this is God's service to the church. And if we miss this, we miss what God is giving to the church, we miss the word of God in its fullness, and we miss what he has said about himself in Jesus. And that is the whole thing. And so listen, we can focus on a million different details, and if we don't see them related to the Son, like the, the one who the whole thing is about, we'll never get those details right. And one of the ways it happens, like, do you see how big that flower looks when I zoom in on it? 
This is exactly what happens when you start zooming in on pieces of the Bible and pieces of your religion and not seeing it in relation to Jesus. You'll take these little things that, yeah, I mean, they're in the picture. There's those purple flags. They're there. And if you see them in relation to Jesus and to the whole picture, you can see them rightly. They can be part of the picture. But as soon as you rip them out of that context, you're going to distort them. You're going to blow them. You're going to act like this is the whole thing when it's not the whole thing. You're going to get all caught up in this and all worked up over this. And God's like, be caught up in Jesus. Be worked up over Jesus. <laughs> Let all your passion and all your love and all of your hope and all of your faith flow out of the fact that you see who Jesus is and that Jesus sets the frame for the whole picture. So I, I had this set up already for today, and then this morning somebody texted me this, and uh, this is a good challenge to us as the church. If you can't tell what it is, it's like a church building with a bunch of people inside holding the door against Jesus says, don't let him in, it'll change everything. That's exactly right. Like when you saw that that picture was about Sydney, it changed everything you thought about the whole picture. And when Jesus walks in to your understanding of religion and your understanding of the church and your understanding of the Bible, he will change everything you think about all of it. Not in a way where he distorts it or undermines it, but in a way where he sets it all in the proper context and proper framework and you see it the right way for the first time. What this really says is, hey, apart from Jesus, we see it all the wrong way. <laughs> like we twist it and distort it somehow. And so, yeah, he's got to change all of it when he comes in. It's all his, right? All in him, all through him, all to him, all for him, all reconciled in him. We've got to see it in relation to him. And it should, like, everything should be different, somehow different. Some of it may be just, like, it's a little tweak. Like, we were just a little bit off, and he straightens us out. Some of it, it's going to be a complete 180, where we were just naturally headed the total wrong way, and Jesus was like, hey, that's nothing like what God's like. It's nothing like my gospel. You're going, to have to, you're going to have to let that go completely and come over here. But, but when he touches all of it, it's all going to change because it's all going to be reoriented to him. And if we're not careful, we build up our own rules, our own human traditions, our own religious way of doing things, and we leave Jesus out of all of it. And eventually we get so comfortable doing it our way, we're like, hey, don't touch that. Don't let him change that. So, the Word of God in its fullness is Jesus. And we proclaim Jesus. I just want to challenge you to be this type of follower of Jesus both for yourself and for the other people who encounter you. And for us to be this type of church. What message would people hear? Jesus. Jesus. Who Jesus is. What God has done in Jesus. And to wrap that part up right here, to this end, so Paul's talking about presenting Jesus to the church so they will grow spiritually in Jesus. 
I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. And I want to connect this back to something we've seen over and over and over in the previous section, 115 through 120, where again right here, who is the power and the source for all the spiritual work that Paul does? It's Jesus. It's not Paul. So Jesus is the source. And if it helps you think of source as power, that's fine. But then he is the one we proclaim. Jesus is the message. So Jesus is the power given to us as he lives in us so that we can proclaim God's message. And the message that God has us proclaim is Jesus. Right? I'm struggling, contending by all of Christ's power that works in me to proclaim him to the church for what purpose? Admonishing and teaching with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. That as the power of Jesus enables us to proclaim Jesus to people, Jesus works in people to bring about their spiritual maturity in him. Right? The goal of your spiritual maturity isn't your spiritual maturity. Even the goal of your spiritual maturity is that it will be in Christ. And so Jesus is the goal. And I think a couple of weeks ago we said it like Jesus is the source, Jesus is the conduit, and Jesus is the goal or the end. But Jesus is the source, Jesus is the message, Jesus is the goal. That the whole thing is him. And, and, and maybe I pray that there are ways right now that you see how, how relevant this is to your own life, like your religious life, um, to your religious experiences through life. Uh, but maybe, maybe you don't just yet. Like maybe you don't see like how radical and life-altering and perspective-altering it is to see that the whole thing is about Jesus. And so I want to give you one quick example as we get ready to worship. Um, and this is, this is fun in a way, relevant, because it affects all of us as a church, and most of you don't even know that it's been going on. Uh, about six months ago, on a Sunday morning, we had some guests who dropped in and they stopped me after the service, and they were really complimentary, but they were from Atlanta, and they said, we're trying to connect with other churches, and we'd love to talk with you about what you're teaching and what your church is doing. So I set up a, a meeting with them, a coffee meeting, and over time, we've met on average every other week for six months now. Over time, it's come out that they're part of a, I'm just going to call it a religious tradition that believes that their leader has gotten further insight into the Bible in the past 10 years than the church has had for the past 2,000 years. And that we need to know what he's teaching and that the whole church needs to hear that and believe that so that if the church would follow his teaching, Jesus would come back. That's been the general conversation. And, and they're traveling all around Nashville right now trying to tell people that. And they've actually set up branches all across the United States and all across the world. It's really prominent in Korea and some Asian countries. And so I've continued, and so basically our conversations usually go like this. For 45 minutes, they tell me that I need to understand the Bible the way their leader does. And then for 30 minutes, I tell them, Jesus is enough. Like, if you tell me I need somebody other than Jesus, I don't buy it. And if you tell me that we need revelation beyond what God has given in Jesus, I don't buy it. And the thing is, listen, they know the Bible really well. 
Like if, and I don't say this to be offensive, but they would probably put most of us in this room to shame in the way they can quote verses and the way they know the entire Bible. And not a bit of it so far have I heard them say in a way that is related to who God is in Jesus. And it's like they can know the whole thing and pull every piece out and then distort it because they're not connected. It's purple flower here and a blue flower here and a pink flower here and a dog here. And it's just like, do you see Jesus? And so this isn't some like outside thing. This is what happens in religion when we disconnect it from Jesus. And this is what happens in your life when you disconnect it from Jesus. The whole thing is in him. Like, see who he is. See what God has done in him and hear what God has to say to you in him and receive what God offers you in him. Like all of the hope for your religious and spiritual life is in Jesus, Christ in you, the hope of glory, all the fullness of God living in you through Christ in you. All of our hope as a church is in Jesus and what God does in Jesus. And all of our mission is to declare this message of Jesus. And the whole goal is that God will be glorified in Jesus. And so Christmas, <laughs> Christmas is a perfect example, right? You can, there's a million good details, and you'll miss the whole thing if you don't see the whole thing's about Jesus. <laughs> but the deal is, and I joked, uh, Lou, one of the guys on our teaching team, we actually had a text exchange this morning, and um, I joked with him that I had another pastor friend that I pray for, and I texted him that I was praying for him this morning, and he sent back, hey, I'm starting my Christmas series today. And, and listen, that's fine. I think it really is. But I joked with Lou. I almost sent back, well, we, we do a Christmas series 52 weeks out of the year. Right? It's always because Jesus came and revealed God. And it's always about us seeing who Jesus is. And you'll miss, you'll miss what matters about every detail of Christmas if you don't see it in relation to Jesus. But you'll miss what matters about every detail of your life and every detail of the church and every detail of the Bible and every detail of all reality if you don't see it all connected to Jesus. And so I'm going to pray that for us right now, that we'll see Jesus this way, that we will trust him this way, that he will be the source and the message and the goal for all of us. And then we're going to worship together and we're going to have some people down here to pray with you if you want to talk with somebody or pray with somebody. And then if you will, hang around for just a second uh, for our surprise, not broadcast announcements. Um, so will you pray with me right now? Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the truth of your word. Please help us see you more by helping us see Jesus, your son, the one in whom you have revealed all of your fullness clearly. Help us interpret everything that you say to us in your word and everything that you do in our lives and everything that you want from us as your church. Help us interpret it all in light of who Jesus is and the fact that he is in us by your grace and by your gospel. Please do this work in us as only you can. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Stand and sing with us. Come and pray if you want to.